Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. And if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to me with me to Acts chapter 27. I want to, we're continuing our series on listening to God. And I want to talk about listening to God, hearing God and listening to God in the middle of the storm. Because we're, we've already sailed into one. And faith and guidance go hand in hand. I mean, when God speaks to you, you've got to believe it. Right? And I believe this, again, I say I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I believe this message to be prophetic, not allegorical. And like any other such thing, it's general, not specific. And so don't try to time this out or anything of that nature. But just realize this, that there's going to be more and more mistakes made in the future at high levels in this nation. There have been a bunch made already and even more so because it says over in Proverbs 24, 16 that the wicked stumble in time of calamity and that they stumble in darkness. It says in Ephesians 3, uh, no, 2 Timothy 3, 13, that in the last days... Evil men and spin doctors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But in the middle of all of that, God knows exactly what he's doing. And he's bringing it to what will be for the kingdom a successful completion. This Acts chapter 27 is where Paul and uh, his people are getting ready to set sail after being remanded to Caesar, or actually being sent to Caesar, remanded to a centurion named Julius. And verse 1 says, And it was decided that we should sail for Italy. So they decided to go by water rather than by land. And they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Adramidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. And from there... We put out to sea and sailed under the shelter. And you know what? It just hit me that I'm reading from the New American Standard. And I have Susan projecting the ESV. So maybe I should do that. Next day, verse 3. We'll go back to verse 3. The next day we put in inside. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. How many of you think the winds are against us? And when we had sailed across the open sea under the coast, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Canidas. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone, coasting along 
it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lassie. And since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. I perceive, I sense trouble ahead if we continue this direction. Now, the Holy Spirit was warning Paul. This is divine guidance in operation. Paul had, I understand, Paul had no ability to change the, the mind of the centurion, etc. He could tell them, just like the church has been telling the world, stop, stop, you're going the wrong way. And then when the Supreme Court comes along and says, yeah, they were going the wrong way, what do they do? They have a temper fit. And we've been saying these things, and so he, he says, I perceive. Now, the word translated perceive is the word from, from the word harao, which means to either see or perceive, to detect, to sense. Jesus said over in the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall perceive God. They shall perceive the things of God. As we go through this life, we will sense some things. We will detect some things. We will, we will understand. We'll, be, we'll get glimpses of things that the world will miss. And they'll probably think we're nuts. Well, no, probably they do. Okay. And this, you know... We have been sailing into this storm, by, and when I say we, I mean the Western world, has been sailing into this storm for years, and I've been standing up on this pulpit for, for three decades saying, the storm is coming. I want you to understand that the hurricane has now begun to come on shore. Paul tried to talk them out of it, saying, hey, let's just wait. There's no reason to just crash into this. Head right into the, you know, I, I can even imagine him telling Luke and Aristarchus, listen, guys, if we really sail, you guys stay here. You know, catch the next boat. You know, come after the, come after the, you know, after the, you know, the, the stormy season. You, you know, take the boat in the spring. But there was no way that they were going to wait. Notice, he says, I perceive this. He didn't say that he had an angel. He didn't have a vision. He didn't have a dream. What he had was a sense or what guys would call a gut feeling. Women might call an intuition. I mean, you know what I'm saying here? How many of you have had that happen? You just, something just came to you about, you know, this is like that. And then later on, it happened just the way you saw it or the way you perceived it. You said, well, no, that was God. I've had God speak to me about things that were of no consequence in the kingdom. And I would say, why, you know, did you, you know, in, in fact, I remember the first time it ever happened was, you know, when uh, I was going to graduate school at Oral Roberts University and there was a competing, uh, uh, a, a spring football league I don't know if you remember, I, I think it was the USFL or something like that, that, that played spring football. We had a team in Tulsa, the Oklahoma Outlaws. And they played at Skelly Stadium, which is where the University of Tulsa plays. And I went to one game, and it was cold. 
and it was pouring down rain, and it was miserable. I don't remember whether we won or lost. I was too busy being miserable to pay attention to the game. And so there was all this talk about this new pro league and how it was going to take off and it was going to run, you know, give the NFL a run for its money and everything. And the owner of the team there had, you know, was saying, we need a stadium where, you know, with a dome on it and everything. And a bunch of businessmen there in Tulsa had taken an option to buy some land out just east of, of town, which was the way Tulsa was growing. And they were going to build a dome stadium out there. And somebody said, we'll call it the dome on the range. That's embarrassing. But anyway, and there was such hype. There was such excitement about it. We even had, uh, oh, what's his name? He was a quarter, he was a, he, he won Doug something, Williams, won the Super Bowl uh, uh, as the quarterback for the Washington Redskins, you know, and he had come over to the league and we had gotten him and he's, he was still good. You know, it was fun to watch him play. Don't remember whether he won or not, but it was fun to watch. And I remember all the talk and there was, man, I was up in the LRC and guys were standing around talking about it. You know, this new dome stadium and how this league was going to take off. As I was walking down the steps of the LRC, the Learning Resources Center, on my way out to go home to eat lunch, I knew they won't even be here next year. Tulsa won't even have a team. And I'm like, what? I mean, look at all these plans they're making. Sometimes, God, you'll know in here that all the stuff you're hearing is absolutely wind. Are you with me? And I thought, Lord, are you speaking that to me? And if so, why? And later on, he said, I'm training you. I'm training you to hear my voice. I'm training you to hear when I, when, you know, when that intuition comes. He, one of the reasons I call it intuition is because... You have that gut feeling, and he won't give you a bunch of details. I don't know about you, but I love details. Lord, how's this all going to go down? Spell it all out for me so I can watch, so I can write it down, and I can impress other people with how much I know. No angel, no vision, no dream. He just had that intuition, that inward knowing. Well, verse 11, what does it say? But the centurion paid more attention to, or was more convinced by, the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter, okay, let's read that in, the town was too small. Okay. The majority decided to put out to sea from there. The majority how often have we seen in our nation that the majority is not always right? The majority often gets voters' remorse. The majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow we, they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there because they had better hotels better restaurants, etc. I want you to notice that God usually works in the minority. Not in the majority. Sometimes his minority is a really small one. It's like a remnant. The centurion, the Roman officer, who a centurion was a Roman officer, a company commander who would be in command of 100 men. 
hence the centurion. All right. And he could have taken Paul's advice and waited it out. But he was in a hurry to get to Rome. He that believeth will not make haste, but he that does not believe probably will. And, you know, again, it was a small town. All they had was a Burger King. And a McDonald's. And a KFC. There weren't any good restaurants. And this hotel was a flea bag. So let's go. Let's not stay here. Well, verse 13. Now when the wind blew, gently, supposing that we had, or they had obtained their purpose. Oh, how many times does it look like, yeah, we got it. They weighed anchor, that means they picked it up, and sailed to Crete close along inshore. All right? So it looked like it was, you know, it looked like everything was good. And so here's Paul on the ship, knowing that we are headed for disaster. He was a prisoner, he had no choice. The government said, you're going to go. And so here he is with Luke and Aristarchus. Sometimes, even though you know what's coming, you and I get to go through the storm with everybody else. Elijah had to live in a land of drought like everybody else. But God fed him by dirty birds. And from the brook Kurit, right? And then when that dried up, he sent him to a widow at Zarephath and they ate tortillas every day, pancakes every day. What are we having today? Pancakes. What's for breakfast? Pancakes. Oh, good. What's for lunch? Pancakes. Oh, what's for dinner? Pancakes. What's the menu tomorrow? How many of you know if that's all there is to eat, you're happy to get it? And then think about this. Here they are. A moderate south wind comes up and they're going along. And it looks like Paul was just this nut job preacher who was, for whatever reason, just spouting off. But keep reading. Verse 14. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent Wind. The Greek's word translated violent there is like violent like a tornado called Eurekilo, northeaster. And when the ship was caught in it, we could not face the wind. We gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under what? We let ourselves be driven along. We are rapidly coming to that place if we're not already there where world events are just going to be driving us along because they're going to be bigger and swirling out of control. And running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used the supporting cables and undergirding the ship, fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, and they let down the sea anchor in the, uh, this way, uh, allowing to let themselves be driven along. So, you know, then it gets worse. Verse 18. 
the next day as we were being violently storm-tossed. These people were not in an aircraft carrier. A friend of mine, well, not, wasn't really a friend, but a co-worker when I was working for the Tulsa Fire Department was an, uh, a retiree, 30-year retiree from the Navy. And he talked about one time when they were in the Pacific and he was on a destroyer, the USS Epperson, as I recall. And he said, that storm was brutal. My dad was Navy in World War II. And he told me sometimes he had seen ships coming in that had been caught in a typhoon and it looked like they had been in, they'd been in a battle. Stuff was broken and everything, and they needed all kinds of work done. And Don, this guy I worked with at the, at, with whom I worked at the, um, uh, at the, at the fire department, said he went forward to the chief's quarters, and he said he had a cup, cup of coffee in his hand, and he said it, the ship was rocking so violently that he said I got myself, and, and you know, in a ship, they particularly a navy ship, they weld everything to the deck. And to the, the bulkhead in the wall. And he said, I got between the bulkhead and the locker in my chief's quarters, which of course was bolted down. And he said, I put my back up against the bulkhead and my feet against the locker. And he wedged himself in there. And he said, as I sat there with my cup of coffee, I was doing this. To keep the coffee from spilling. He said, I mean, he said that storm slapped the living soup out of us. And he said, when the task force got into, uh, got into Subic Bay there in uh, the Philippines, he said they were all getting off to go on Liberty. And he said two Airedales, two pri- uh, pilots uh, were coming down off of the, the carrier. I don't know what carrier it was, whether it was Enterprise or the... Eisenhower or what it was. But anyway, they, they were coming down like this. And he said he was walking behind them as they headed toward the gate. And one of them looked at the other one and said, some storm, huh? And the other one said, yeah. He said, I was down in the galley and my coffee cup actually moved on my table a little bit. And he's thinking, you guys don't have any idea what rough is. These people here in Acts chapter 27 are on a wooden boat. This is not some galleon. This is an Andromedian ship that, use, that hauls grain and stuff like this. And so this storm has them, I mean, over one, under two. So vicious were those winds that they were blown 600 miles off course. The equipment, now keep reading here, you know, uh, Verse 18, the next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. You wait and see if I don't know what I'm talking about. Things are going to get so crazy that people are going to start jettisoning, jettisoning the things they believe in search of something that's stable, something that's truthful, something that can help them. Look at your neighbor and say, sounds like a job for you. 
Sounds like a job for super Christian. Yesterday, uh, Liam wanted some ice cream. And uh, Kathy got him some ice cream and put it down. He said, I want the strawberry. Well, we didn't have any strawberry. And she goes, well, I'm sorry, honey. We don't. I said, don't we have some of that strawberry syrup? And she said, yeah, we do. So she came over and put the strawberry syrup on it. And he said, you know, and he says, I want to mix it in. Can you mix it in? And so she started mixing it in for him. And he looked up at her like, you are so wonderful. <laughs> oh, you are. And he said something to that effect. You are so awesome like this. And I said, wow, Super Nana, do I need to go get your cape? And then he ate three spoonfuls and was done because it wasn't really that good. Not like real strawberry ice cream. Amen. And I'm telling you, God's been preparing us. And here's Paul. I don't know if he was sick or not, but a lot of guys were. And they're throwing all their equipment and their cargo, all this. I mean, they are even throwing the, not just the cargo, but the ship's tackle. I mean, every, I don't know if Lloyd's of London had this insured or not. Probably not. And verse 15 says they were being driven along, so they were completely helpless. Completely. At, have you ever felt like that? That you're just completely at the mercy of events as they're going down? You have no control over it whatsoever. That's exactly where they were. And look at this, verse 20. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Think about that. In other words, they started off pretty confident we're going to get through this. The next day, a little less confident. The next day, a little less confident. The day after that, a little less confident. To the final, finally, after two weeks of this stuff, they had made the decision, we're all going to die. And they had no way to navigate. Remember, they didn't have GPS. They didn't have compasses. What did they have? They had the stars. They had the, the sun and the moon. Celestial navigation. They were very good at it. But you cannot navigate celestially if you have no celeste. If you have, I mean, they could, those, those clouds are so thick that you can't even determine east from west when the sun comes up because the light is so diffused, there's no way to know. And so they had no idea where they were. They had no idea how far they'd been blown off course. They've already thrown just about everything they can to lighten the load so that the ship will stay on top of the water and not go underneath it. And this is a, you, this is a, you know, you know, this is not a good place to be. They were terrified. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 6 talks about terror. When the enemies of Judah said, let us go up to Judah and terrorize it and make a breach in its walls. The word translated 
terrorize is the Hebrew word for inflicting a sickening dread. Kind of like the one you get when you see the letter from the Internal Revenue Service in the mail. Or the phone rings and you see a number, you go, uh-oh. Does anybody here identify with one of them? But Paul believed. How many of you God has spoken to you about your future? Sometime in the past. Anybody? How many God has shown you something about your future that has not yet happened? Amen. How many of you are ready for that to happen tonight? Well, the fact is that back in Acts chapter 23 and verse 11, when Paul had been accosted by the mob and brought up on charges, it says, but on the night immediately following, this is well over two years before he's on the boat, but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. When Jesus tells you, you are going to Rome, baby, you are going to Rome. And it does not matter what the enemy throws at you, what natural impediment, what spiritual impediment, what uh, political impediment, no matter what financial impediment may come, you are going to, and it's, but it takes faith to believe that. I mean, we've got to believe that the things God has said to us, though they may delay, okay, though they do delay. God loves to do that. He loves to show you a little glimpse of something in the future and say, just hang on to that. I think he does that so that we don't just lose all hope. I love what a lot of the things that Pastor Phil said in my absence concerning hope. And so, and in fact, I want to come back to 2311 again. But on the night immediately following, the Lord also stood aside, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must. It is necessary. There are some things that God has designated for you and for me, for this body to do. And I mean the winds have blown and the enemy has done everything he can to take us out. And yet here we stand. Why? Because there are things that we must yet do. Individually and as a congregation. Now, Paul in chapter 27 and verse, um, let me look here, 21, I think it is. Verse 21, I don't think I gave this, I don't know if I gave this to Susan, but he says, And when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. He's not standing up and saying, nana nana boo boo, I was right. 
No, what he was doing was reminding them because he had something else to tell them. We do not lord it over those who are suffering because of their malfeasance and because of their misguidance. We are the ones God has sent to help them not to poke fun at their trouble. I mean, here are a bunch of guys that are violently storm-tossed. Many of them are as sick as dogs. They've gone a long... You know what it says? They've gone a long time without food. Maybe they were fasting and maybe they just didn't want to put anything on their stomach. Some of them. All this disorientation, the physical battering, and the worst part, not knowing. We don't even have any idea where we are. We're out here in the middle of the Adriatic, maybe. We're not, we, we, we haven't seen any land. We haven't seen any sun. We haven't seen any stars. This isn't good. And so he's standing up. He says, I've heard from God. And he goes on to say, And yet now I urge you to keep up courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Well, I think now maybe they're just a little bit more willing to listen to him. You've heard the phrase, any port in a storm? Or, there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, he gives them the words of an angel, he says. Now, before, he had this intuition. But now that he's in the storm, he's in the soup, and there are 275 other people on that boat with him, and everybody is terrified. Everybody, with the exception of Paul and maybe a couple of his team members, are certain they're going to die. He gets an angel. He said, for this very night, verse 23, an angel of God, of the God, who, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You must, there's that word again, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. What does it mean to grant somebody something? Paul had been asking not only for his life, but the life of every scalawag on that ship. But he didn't sugarcoat it. He goes, therefore keep up your courage, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. Whenever you ignore God's word and God's warning, there is a cost. We may come out of it alive and okay, but it's going to cost this ship owner everything. It's going to cost the pilot everything. I have a feet, you know, and the next thing you know, we're getting down here to uh, verse 33. Verse 30, but as the sailors were, oh, listen to this. Verse 30, but as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, Paul said to the government, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. That centurion wasn't listening to Paul back there on Crete, but he is now. You wait and see. 
if the voice of the church does not rise. There will still be darkness. There will still be people who will resist it and everything. But I promise you, the voice of the church is going, and the voice of the scripture, the voice of the Lord through the church is going. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. Everybody say amen. amen. Now, you know, I'm doing better preaching. You are amen today, come to think of it. All right. Turn to somebody and say, get with it, will you? All right. So, let's come on down. Verse 27. Until the day was, let's see, until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching, going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for it is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged. And they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. I want you to see this. That everybody in the ship is now listening to Paul. Everybody on the ship. There is a change in the general population. I, You know... Putting it on a national basis, it would be difficult for me to imagine that. But I believe God. Everybody said, Amen. You know, and also, I have no doubt that Paul wasn't wearing chains. Not during this period of time. A lot had changed. Let's keep going. 28. Move over to Acts chapter 28. Well, you know, um, well, I'm, I want to... We know what happened. They all jumped. They, they, the ship got stuck. Everybody jumped into the water. They wanted to kill the prisoners. And the centurion said, no, I want to bring Paul safely through. So he ordered the enlisted men not to do so. And they made it to shore. Were they comfortable? No. Because it says in one, when they had all been safe, uh, when they had been safe, brought safely through, then we found that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us extraordinary kindness, kindness for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold. Can you just think for a minute how miserable that had to be? Out there in that ocean, coming out of it, it's rainy, it's cold, it's windy, you're soaking wet. They kindled a fire and received us all. But when... They had gathered a bundle of sticks, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself onto his hand. The only one to be bitten. The only one. I mean, he could have stood there and gone, I don't understand, God. I mean, I told everybody. Now, can he die at this point? The answer is no. You must stand before Caesar. Do you think up in heaven, the father and the son are going, what are we going to do now? That's a poisonous snake. Oh no. Oh no, 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 no. No, no. What are we going to do? No. God knew that was coming. Do you think Paul knew that it was coming? I don't think so. Because if he knew it was coming, he probably would have gathered sticks from somewhere else. How many of you go out and say, you know, I think I'm going to get me a snake bite today. That sounds like fun. 
And he sees this snake hanging from his hand. So what does he do? In a prophetic act, he shakes it off into the fire, just like another snake is going into the fire. But when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began to murmur. You know, they'd say to one another, undoubtedly this man is a murderer. He is, and although he has been saved from the sea, justice or fate has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and seen nothing unusual happen, they changed their minds and began to say he was a god. Well, that's a nice thing because they had the same thing happen in Lystra and they thought he was a god and then suddenly everything turned the other way and they stoned him what they thought to death. This is a better direction. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days and it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with a recurrent fever and dysentery and boy, if that isn't misery, nothing is. And Paul went in to see him. And after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people of the island who had diseases were coming and getting cured. Revival on Malta. I mean, God began to move in a spectacular way. God causes all things. Everybody say all things. To work together for good. I mean, you're standing there, you're gathering the sticks, and you look up and here's this snake, and you're thinking, you're kidding me? I mean, all these other people that are out here, I mean, couldn't this snake have attached himself to a sinner? Shakes it off into the fire, they're waiting, and God took that, that thing that the enemy meant for evil. What was that song we sing? You took what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. He didn't even complain, as far as we see. And God did something spectacular. When we go to chapter 28, or a little bit further in verse 11, I should say, at the end of three months. So they had a three-month revival on Malta. And when they got ready to set sail, we know from verse 10, it says, they honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. Now, why is that important? Because everything they had was at the bottom of the ocean. And the ATMs on Malta didn't work. Have you with me? Paul lost his cell phone. He lost his wallet, his credit cards. The ATMs there were not functioning. The point is that money back then was gold and silver and copper coins. They were at the bottom of the ocean. They had nothing. And so God resupplied them. Everybody said God's good. And showered them with blessing. Again, if our musicians would come and begin. Is anybody encouraged by this? I mean, it doesn't matter how hairy it, do, do we still say that? You know, we used to say that. Man, that was pretty hairy. No matter how crazy it gets, God's still on the throne. He's still in ultimate control. And yes, it can look like some very negative things can happen. You might feel snake bit. You might feel like, you know, equipment breaking 
and all this other stuff. Say, Lord, what are you doing here? But you've got, you know, what do you do? I raise a hallelujah. Let me tell you what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to get mad at God and say, I don't understand this. Which is sometimes my first reaction. It is always the first reaction of my flesh. But it's up to my spirit and my soul to, my soul to be trained to side with my spirit and tell the flesh to shut up. And for, my, for me to worship the Lord my God. What? What on earth? My spirit, my soul, it thought I was telling it to play a song. <laughs> I've heard jokes about, I've heard stories about something the pastor would say and then Siri would speak from the congregation. Tim Cook owes me now. The centurion was in a hurry. The government was in a hurry. Years and years and years and years ago, a friend of mine who walks in the prophetic said, the day will come in this nation before the end when our leadership will listen to the voice of men and women of God and trust it because they will have, I don't want to say that they will be have dragged in, beaten into submission, but they will finally see that holy men and women, righteous men and women, know, they hear, and they know the Spirit of God. People who are pure in heart. And this centurion paid no attention to Paul. He said, you know, okay, I get it. He said, don't do that. You know, I get it. Okay, we're going. All right, I don't want to hear any more about it. But then on the ship, when Paul said, these guys don't stay with the ship, you yourself cannot be saved. Quickly, they moved to implement what he said, what, not what he said to do, but to, to enforce what he said was ne necessary. And so at the end of three months, beginning in verse 11, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island, which had the twin brothers, that would be Castor and Pollux for its figurehead. And we put in at Syracuse, uh, and we stayed there for three days. And from there we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Piccioli. There we found some believers, some brethren. And were invited to stay with them for a week. And thus we came to Rome. They stayed there for a week. Where was this centurion? Right there with him. Suddenly the centurion is no longer in a hurry. Suddenly the centurion is more than happy to wait and to have, for, for Paul to have a mini revival there in Italy. Suddenly this centurion has gone from being a pagan Roman soldier to being a believer. I believe with all of my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength that in heaven you and I will get to talk to this guy if we so desire. Think about that. He's still alive. He just doesn't live here. Are you with me? 
And I, I, I want to hear his version. You know, people say, I want to talk to Paul or to Luke or to Aristarchus, what it was like to be on that ship. I want to hear this guy's story. And I would like also to know how many of the 275 additional individuals on that ship also became believers as a result of this, of this thing. Sometimes God puts us in a mess, not because, of, not of our making, but because he needs somebody in the mess. Are you with me? And we found some brethren and invited to stay with him for seven days. And thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard of us, came there from as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. I believe we're in the soup already. And crazier and crazier things are going to happen. I believe we're going to see more wars. And that what we're seeing right now is just act the first act. Because leaders are behaving in illogical ways. And that doesn't even begin to talk about the Middle East and what's happening there. It's going to get more and more interesting. It's going to get crazier and crazier. And in the middle of that, you and I are God's gift. And may I even say it, his salvation to those around us. And we can't look around. You know what? When, that's why Jesus said, when you see these things begin. To, I was lying in bed last night. And I remember hearing Kenneth Hagin say this when I was a when I was a lot younger and I actually was lying in bed laughing thinking about this he said when you see all these things happening Jesus said lift up your head and gripe <laughs> no he didn't say that he says lift up your head rejoice for God is doing great and mighty things are ahead follow this thing when that intuition says, nope, don't go, don't, don't go down that road. Don't click on this. Don't open that email. Are you with me? And you learn to follow those things. It will not only you know, it may not keep you out of the storm, but it will keep you safe in the midst of it. And we will come out on the other side of this thing. One way or another. We'll either come out down here or we'll come out in heaven. Either way is fine with me. Because if Jesus wants to come back in the middle of it, I don't care if I never got my Corvette. I don't care if I never, because I don't really, I really don't. I don't care if I never get a Citation 10. That's a jet. I, I don't. I, you know, yeah, I, I do want to do more flying and everything but you know what it's all about him it's all about his purpose and he has privileged me to live at this time in history and to be an old man at this time in history and who am I to say God I wish I were 20 years younger or 30 years younger or 10 years older or whatever it be no we got to believe that he has us right where we need to be, right when we need to be, right as we need to be. And we can rest in that. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone listening by web and everyone in this congregation that, Lord, we, uh, that your goodness and your, your mercy are fully operative in us and that, Lord, you have prepared us for just such a time as this. And, Lord, we haven't even gotten into the teeth of this thing yet, but we will. And, Lord, as we do, your people will shine. I do not want to be one of those, Father, who does, is unable to hang on, who gets left behind, who when the tide goes out, it turns out that I haven't been wearing a bathing suit, so to speak. I want to be, I want, Father, I, I want to be where you have me to be, when you have me to be there. I want to have your word on my lips and whatever you have in my hand. And thank you for making that the case for each and every one of us. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, if you do not know Jesus of Nazareth as your Lord and Savior, there is no better day to come out from among the sons of disobedience and into the kingdom of His beloved Son than right now. Right now. Do not delay. Do not give the enemy opportunity to give you 50 good reasons why you shouldn't do it. There are no good reasons. But he can sure make his, his arguments sound reasonable. No. Believe with your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is the Son of the living God and that God has raised him from the dead. And invite him into your heart. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. The Bible says you will be born again. Believer, if you're already a believer and you are just nibbling around the edges. We quoted Proverbs, I believe it was 27. Prepare your work outside, then build your house. It's time to elevate the kingdom as being your first priority. First priority. Because going forward, things will be in such disarray that control, any semblance of control will be gradually abandoned. And we will be driven along. We already are. It's a great day to know Jesus and to serve Him. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.